You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and S.J. Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! What's going on, guys? Welcome to another episode of Peer Pleasure with Dewey Halpus on Equal Vision Records and Sound Talent Media. I am Dewey, your host with the most, bringing you more great content week after week. This week, guys, we have a bit of a throwback. Uh, we have Chris Ballou from the Presidents of the United States of America, and he is also now doing family music, kids music as Casper Baby Pants. So Chris, I hit up on Instagram because I was a big fan of the presidents and uh, back in the day and still am. I thought they were great. Um, and he did so much work with Beck and uh, he just he's just a really prolific, uh, really interesting guy. And, and I was not disappointed. I mean, it was an awesome conversation, some amazing stories, some amazing insights and how someone can pivot from uh, a massively successful band into a whole new foray doing family music, which there's a song called Jellyfish Jones, which my daughter has loved for years. And we play it in the car all the time. And I had no idea it was Chris until after I did this interview. So I'm going to have to hit him up and tell him because I can put on that. She's seven now and I can put on that song and it calms her down and she loves it. So uh, big thanks to him for that. Big thanks to him for all the music over the years. Uh, and you guys are going to hear some incredible stories, some Beck stories, some President stories, some Madonna stories. Uh, it's fascinating. So let's get some business out of the way and we'll jump right in. Peerpleasurepodcast.com is the website. Peerpleasurepod at gmail.com is the email if you need to get in touch with me, uh, guest ideas or anything like that. 
uh, I started a Facebook group for the show. It's called the Peer Pleasure Podcast Inner Circle. Uh, and if you want to be a part of that group, uh, you can just search it on Facebook, uh, Peer Pleasure Podcast Inner Circle, and send in a request. It is a private group just because we'll be talking about a lot of things in there, uh, mental health-wise, personal stuff, uh, and just to protect everyone's privacy and everyone's uh, uh, information. It is a private group, but go ahead and su- go ahead and uh, click submit on that, and uh, we'll get you in. But that's why it will say private. But it's absolutely open to uh, anyone who wants to be a part of it, that wants to be productive and uh, not cut anyone down and and not troll anybody, which I'm sure none of you do because you're listening to this show. Uh, but thank you guys for coming back week after week. Really appreciate it. Really appreciate all the feedback and reviews and everything else. Things have just been going up and up and up, and we're not showing any signs of stopping. We've got a ton of stuff in the can already, but I'm going to give you guys what you came here for. Without further ado, Chris Ballou from the Presidents of the United States of America and Casper Baby Pants. Moving to the country, I'm gonna eat a lot of peaches. I'm moving to the country, I'm gonna eat me a lot of peaches. I'm moving to the country, I'm gonna eat a lot of peaches. I'm moving to the country, I'm gonna eat a lot of peaches. Peaches come from a can, they were put there by a man in a factory downtown. Well, well, Chris Ballou, welcome to the show, man. I, I appreciate you coming on. This is I've been stoked for this one for a few weeks now we, since we talked. So, um, cool. Thank you. Yeah, thanks man. for having. Me. Are you in a shed? I'm in my uh, yeah backyard uh, recording shed that I built about ooh, 11, 12 years ago. Oh, okay. Um, and yeah, got guitars, uh, one laptop, one mic. And a couple speakers and a bunch of guitars and a keyboard. And that's that's all I need. <laughs> Dude, that's Done. awesome. That's awesome. And you're up in Seattle. Yes, I'm in Seattle, Washington. Uh, specifically West Seattle, which is a bit of a distinction if you're in Seattle. Because <laughs> West Seattle is kind of like original Seattle. <laughs> I remember. I lived in Renton for a little while. And then uh, uh, oh, okay. Puyallup. So I was close. I worked in in Tukwila, so I was always close by, but never in actual Seattle. But um, gotcha, yeah, man. Yeah. Well, sweet. So, I mean, I think most people know who you are. Uh, you know, right. the, kind of, I yeah, I made the joke to our uh, to my label that uh, Mark Marin had one of the presidents of the United States of America on, and so did I today. Um, he there had, you go. 
Yeah. yeah. Hopefully yeah. you'll get as many hits as he did. With that <laughs> the secret service hasn't shut down the, the studio and moved the neighbors out or anything else. So it's been, uh, it's been well, they're nice. surrounding this place. I mean, there's just, it's just black suits. It's like men in black yes. all the way around. Dude. Yeah. Well, awesome. Well, tell me about you, man. Tell where did you grow up? Where did you, let's start at the beginning because I'm, I'm really interested because I know what you do. I've, I've, I'm trying to remember the first time I was exposed to your music, I was, it was up in Alaska. I'm from Alaska. So, uh, oh, it was, Alaska. dude, so awesome. You guys played up there. Yeah. We played up there many times. Yeah. We had great times in Alaska and, and, uh, typically my wife and I would stay after and explore and, um, you know, just kind of check out Alaska We're she's an artist and I also do visual art and the visual art I do and the visual art she does relates to Alaskan native art in some ways and yes. Inuit art. And so we're kind of like, <clears throat> we kind of have like a, a, a big soft spot for Alaska. Dude, that's awesome. And, and she does a lot. She does all the artwork for your, your records you put out now, right? With Casper, baby yeah, the Casper, the Casper baby pants albums. In fact, uh, wait, for it, this is the this is the latest one. My second um, pandemic release. Nice. Uh, I put out two: "Bug Out" and "Happy Heart." This just came out uh, in November. Awesome. So, yeah, that stuff is so important. I uh, do you have kids? I do, but they're grown and gone. They're like okay. twenty three and twenty. Okay. See, mine are still mine are still under ten. So um, mm. that stuff is so important, though. I and and for. And just to go off on a tangent real quick in the beginning, uh, the watching like like movies with your kids where they put stuff in there for the grownups too to enjoy it and keep them interested, like what you're doing with with Casper, you know, making things making things fun for both, right? So yeah. it's not it's not oh god this song again we got to listen to this five hundred times right like it's actually cool for everybody. That's a very, super important. Yeah. Oh my, it's crazy important. I mean, you know, I go, I feel incredibly strongly that you got to engage the parents. In fact, to that end, when I'm making the Casper stuff, I'm really imagining this being enjoyed by the parents way more than the kids. I'm thinking like, what are, what would, you know, what, what would a grown up want to hear at this mm -hmm. point? Um, because if music sends the family into two different parts of the house, I think that's a missed opportunity. I mean, it's not like the kids can't have their music and the grownups can't have their music, but having a form of music that is a common ground that you can lean on when you need to be together or want mm -hmm. to be together, um, or music that brings people together just naturally is a huge asset to have that in your back pocket. And that's kind of what I'm trying to be. And so far with the feedback I'm getting from families, it's totally working. I mean, I get emails all the time, like, you know, you saved our cross country car trip or you know, <laughs> uh, we had to go into the hospital and the whole experience was softened by the albums. And uh, so it's really gratifying to hear that my intention of making something that like takes care of people and brings people together all ages mm -hmm. is it's working. So it was, I mean, I got one more Casper album uh, that I've recorded that I haven't released yet. And I think then I'm kind of creatively moving on, but um, it was a, it's just been an amazing amount of work to make those albums. I mean, they sound really toss off simple, right? You know, a guitar, a little keyboard here and there. Mm -hmm. But some of those songs took, you know, decades to finish or, you know, years to, to figure out. And anyway, 
um, it's just really gratifying after all that work to have it actually function the way I intended. <laughs> yeah, dude, it's, and I'm serious. Like it's, it's, and then going, going to the, the Alaska native stuff, like yeah. from Alaska, like I, I came from Petersburg. So we had the Tlingit, uh, tribe that was in my area and we would always yeah. go to those potlatches and be exposed to that culture and the dancing and the music and the food, uh, a couple times a year, like twice a year, I think. Um, but that music was meant to be enjoyed as a family and together. So when you're talking about like separating, like, you know, daughter goes in her room, listens to Taylor Swift, son goes, listens to Metallica, whatever, like it separates people. What you're doing is bringing everyone together. And it's that, that tribal need. Yeah. That to, right. It's cool. It goes, it ties in all the way around. And, I th- and I'm focusing on zero to six year olds and their parents, because I feel like if you, if you kind of get, well, for one thing, you know, it's just a tool parents can use to kind of diffuse stress or boredom or, you know, but also it's kind of showing the kids and the parents what that kind of shared aesthetic ground can feel like and maybe planting a seed that that's a goal for the future for mm-hmm. as they grow up. And anyway, I'm just trying to make, I'm trying to be a little tiny puzzle piece towards saving the world. <laughs> <laughs> I feel, I feel like saving the world means saving the parent child relationship. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, if a child grows up empathized with and nurtured and seen and heard and, you know, counted as a human, then they are way more likely to be a well-adjusted adult who doesn't, you know, have to drain the system of all its resources with, uh, you know, um, drug addiction, you know, teen pregnancy, uh, dropping out of school, uh, crime, you know, dr- all that shit can mm-hmm. be avoided to some degree with a solid uh, empathetic home atmosphere. So anyway, not that, not that I feel like, uh, you know, you're going to put a CD on in a, um, in an abusive situation and everyone's going to see the light, but, <laughs> but I don't know if, if there, if it's just what I can do, you know, right. Yeah. It's just like, so that's what I do. Well, dude, that's awesome. And, and, you know, starting and, and even starting small in your own community in your own house like it all it's it grows ex- exponentially like it just goes and goes and goes yeah, and, yeah. and you gotta think about it. it's it's the pete seeger idea of saving the world which is you know you take care of your bubble mm-hmm. and your bubble butts up against someone else's bubble and they see what you're doing in your bubble they do it and you know then but pretty soon it's a bubblicious world exactly there you go that's the way to put it <laughs> um so, and I, like, I remember, like, I used to listen to Raffi, right? Like, I used to have Raffi tapes and stuff. You never forget that stuff that you listen to when you're yeah. that age, right? And that, yeah. it helps establish a sense of melody and uh, an appreciation for it, right? Like, I used to listen to, like, pop records at my dad's radio station because I was too young to, to I, he, I wanted to go with him. He'd take me with him. I'd be too loud when he's recording because he recorded it all in one shot, like, Boom, I'm talking, boom, Tom Petty. Boom, I'm talking, boom, heart, right? And uh, I would just have to go sit in the record room and listen to records. So I was putting on like Wilson Phillips and like uh, Cheech and Chong and like just all sorts of different stuff. Like, this looks cool. Let's put this on. And <laughs> that's where I started to like get that sense of, of melody and appreciate. And that's why it took me so long to get into heavy music because I had such an affinity for the melody part. It was hard for me to let go and appreciate another genre. Um, sure. So it was something that was so ingrained in me, but those, yeah, those Raffi tapes and, and all that. So I, I can, I, I remember it to this day. 
and yeah, it's a big I'm part. sort of hoping I'm hoping that when this generation of kids that I've been playing for for the last 10 years grows up and has kids, they'll all buy the music again. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Be like, hey, we got to get all the records again. <laughs> That's my evil plan. <laughs> selling mega packs on eBay and whatever. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah by then, who knows? Right. We'll probably be getting music like plugged into a chip in our brains. So yeah, I'll get, I'll get my chip royalties. Uh, absolutely, <laughs> there you go, dude. Well, yeah, but like, so so going back, where where did you do you grow up in Seattle? I grew up across uh, Lake uh, East of Seattle in a little tiny town called Yarrow Point, which is kind of part of Bellevue, which is like the other side of Lake Washington from Seattle, which, which once I became a sentient teenager, I was very mad at my parents for living over there. I was constantly concocting ways to get into Seattle, uh, <laughs> shows and all that kind of stuff. But, um, ultimately I really liked it. And I, <clears throat> I still go back and drive the old neighborhood and have strong nostalgic feelings to it I, for it. I really enjoyed growing up in the bucolic sort of suburban atmosphere. Yeah. It was great. Did you have did you have a musical family then? Like, did, were you exposed to music early? Uh yeah. This uh, this guitar right here. This was my sister's guitar in the '60s, and then my dad got it <clears throat> in the '70s, and and then I took over it in the '80s, and I've had it ever since. You can see it's it's, it's starting to get its Willie Nelson hole where yeah. it's in right. Yeah. Uh, what does he call his guitar? Trigger. I think I it's think trigger. So yes. It's my trigger. Um, <laughs> But yeah, uh, my dad, so my dad, you know, dabbled with music a little bit. My mom dabbled at the piano. My dad was a big bluegrass country music fan. And by the way, if it has drums, it's not country music, according to my dad. So oh, man. <laughs> country music. And then my mom was a classical head. She loved uh, classical music, had um, season tickets to the symphony. And so I would be exposed to like, you know, hillbilly music and classical music at the same time which if you listen to casper albums it's all there mm -hmm. even you know the, the president's has some references but um yeah so it wasn't like a it wasn't like a you know a bohemian atmosphere by any means but yeah my creativity was encouraged for sure man absolutely that's yeah. awesome that's i'm glad to hear that and that's i mean it's so important but uh, it's it's interesting to see people that come from both sides, right? Like people that have no musical background that become, you know, huge musicians and, and it's a big part of their life and people that are nurtured with it their whole life that'll do the same thing. But the output's really different, I've mm, noticed. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting with my own kids. They both love music, play music. Music's a big part of their lives. I don't think either one will do it as a, as a you know, profession, but they have... Um, I don't know. They, they found ways to be better selves with music. I like mm -hmm. Josie's uh, attitude about it. It's like, you know, acoustic guitar kind of um, sing along uh, folky stuff that brings people together. And she's, she's joined a bluegrass ensemble at, in Colorado in college. And, Very cool. and then my son, Augie is way more of like an engineer left, uh, left and right brain kind of uh, creative engineer. Mm -hmm. And he guitars and modifies guitars and does this like really cool everything from like kind of abstract um sort of uh alternative singer songwriter stuff to like you know just noisy experimental drone uh explosions very cool yeah so they're both using music to kind of be be better mm -hmm. so <laughs> Man, that Which brings I, me to a, a, a something I heard about recently with another guest um, uh, about circuit bending. 
Have you have you heard about that? Where they take like though this might this you might like this. Uh, they take like random things like VCRs or like uh, electronics, like broken electronics, and like rewire them. Uh, yeah. Old like kids' toys, like CNCs and stuff, and make them all glitched out and like crazy yeah. weirdness. Yeah. I wasn't sure if he's into something like that, but that's that stuff is really uh, crazy. I think, I think he is. Yeah, he's into some very avant-garde shit. Um, so yeah, I think he's he's down with that. Like I've seen one where somebody's taken an old TV and then put a neck on it and turned it into a sort of <laughs> guitar. I think he and I were emailing that stuff back and forth for a minute there. Yeah, dude, have you seen those? Like what they're like. Uh... How they they make all kinds of them. They're there. I forget the term they use, but it's guitars that have like twelve and fifteen strings, and they're like you have to put your whole arm around the neck basically to to play these things. Have you seen those things? They become super popular all of a sudden. Uh, no. Like of course everyone's using like those eight string guitars and shit, but like the yeah. these I ones mean, are like I, comically huge. I'm a I'm a two 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 is about <laughs> that's what I'm saying. The complete opposite. <laughs> the complete opposite. I do have a couple six strings in here, but uh, now because I'm making some new music that kind of requires it. But uh, the, the two and three are my they're my babies. What spawned that for you? What spawned that for you? Did you have like a guitar without all the strings and just start playing it? I kind of did. I had this three quarter scale acoustic guitar in Boston and I kept breaking strings and I didn't have any money to buy new strings. So I got down to four and made it alternate tuning. And really dug that. And then I met Mark Sandman from the band Morphine and he played it, <clears throat> excuse me, he played a two string slide guitar, but in his studio, he had this guitar set up as a two string. I have it set up as a three string. Is that uh, one of those silver tones? The, like Sears what? and Roebuck kind of? No, it's not a Sears and Roebuck. I think it's more of like the, what, what's the guitar Jack White plays? The silver the, tone, the silver tone. It, was, silver it was sold tone? at Sears or something like it. Maybe no, maybe it's a. Maybe it's not a silver tone. No, it's got another name. And I'm oh, airline, air, something, airline or not airline. Airline is. A, I had an airline for years. <laughs> that thing was amazing. Yeah. Um, but you know, I've got these are all silver tones and harmonies and uh, that kind of stuff. So, but this one, I can't remember the name of it. I but anyway, <laughs> he had this, and it was set up as a guitar and I as a two string, and mm -hmm. I picked it up went like whoa this is this feels right like i could wear my influences on my sleeve and it still sounded fresh um you know to me i was like i'm playing a kiss song but to everyone else it's like he's playing his own song <laughs> so um yeah that's kind of where it started and then mark really nurtured that uh in me we had a band for a while called Supergroup, which was purely improvisational we would make up songs live and i played the two string he played a three string slide and we had a rotating cast of drummers and we did that for a couple of years. And that kind of like, you know, gave me the confidence to play the two string live and to write the kind of songs I was supposed to be writing the whole time and be silly. And Mark was kind of like a, he was like a, a, a rock, like a cool uh, tent pole of the whole thing. And I was just like bouncing all around him being weird. So we had this like great <laughs> dynamic. I used to, he was a very kind of stoic individual, at least outwardly. And uh, one of my most uh, prized uh, moments with him was when I would make him belly laugh, because if I could make Mark laugh, it was, it was 
fantastic. So he passed away, unfortunately, in 1999. Oh. Uh, but he but he died live on stage in Italy. So um, he went out. He went out to blazing. Wow, man. Yeah. Inc- oh, my gosh. So That's- Mark Sandman is kind of like my musical father. Basically. Yeah. OK. Yeah, Where? he was he was my uh, I was he was my sensei and I was the Padawan. <laughs> <laughs> When, where did you get like your affinity for that? Like, like being like in an improvisational band that early and just like the quirky side, where does the quirky side come from? Like where, uh... you know, it's from being childlike. I, you know, my good friend, Dave Feely described me as childlike many, many years ago, that guy I grew up with and I kind of didn't understand it at the time, but it's true. I mean, I, I, I really respect little tiny kids because they are enlightened. You know, they are, you were born enlightened. We're born connected to everything. And then slowly those connections are severed and you get the definition of yourself. And I like, you know, my definition of childlike is back to being connected to everything. And that's a really silly and giddy sensation. It's like a, it makes you feel really happy. Like the Dalai Lama tells stupid jokes and laughs hard at anything. He's a silly guy mm-hmm. um, at heart, you know? So yeah, it's nurturing that, that childlike part of me. And for a long time, you know, when I was growing up, I thought songs had to be about ideas or girls. Um, and that's about it. <laughs> uh, or ideas about girls. Yeah. Um, and then I kind of realized that it, it wasn't the case. I, I stumbled in the bar that Mark and I used to play in in Boston. One day I stumbled in during lunchtime or something, and there was a dude sitting uh, on the stage in the back with his eyes closed, 12-string guitar, just playing these songs. And he was singing all these folky songs, but they were he kind of grooved them up. And they were about, you know, pigs and frogs and chickens. And, and I was like wow, this music sounds like it's old and it has integrity and it's got weird, silly shit in it. Yeah. Like, who is this guy? And it turned out he was a guy named Spider John Kerner who'd been playing for years and years in the 60s. He was in the blues revival in New York. And then he kind of was like, one day woke up and was like, why am I playing, you know, uh, music that isn't me? And then he started reimagining old public domain songs and had a second act doing that. And so I just fell in love with this guy and his music. And it really like opened up a whole world of, um, you know, combining silliness and integrity, which is what you get with Casper baby pants and what you get with the presidents. And uh, actually not to go on and on, but Jason Finn, without telling me in 2000, I think it was like two or three, Mm -hmm arranged to fly spider john out to open up for the presidents at our annual uh pusa fest show in seattle that we did in february every year i didn't know he was coming and jason just called me one day and said you're picking up spider john kerner tomorrow at the airport at 10 a.m that's excellent (laughs) and so i picked him up we hung out you know like i got to know him we talked i introduced him to the crowd when he played live with us and it was fantastic so i'm forever forever indebted to jason for that amazing surprise Dude, that's excellent and you got to yeah. pick him up that's even better yeah yeah it was great. It was great. i picked him up and he got in the car and he took out this like weird kind of like plastic canteen and it was full of brandy and plus before i picked him up uh i talked to him on the phone and he's like definitely show up with pot 
So I showed up with pot and he, he took out the brandy. He starts smoking pot, drinking brandy, like right away. And this yeah. guy's, you know, he's probably, how old is he? I know. I, I bet he's in his mid seventies, maybe approaching 80. He just like hit it hard. He just like hit the ground and started partying. Yeah. Like Lemmy. Just yeah, show up crazy. and knows where the drink. So he just turns to his right and there it is and assumes it's all his and goes for it. <laughs> Yeah, it was kind of uh, kind of awesome. Can yeah. you imagine being in that? Maybe you've been there. Maybe you've been there. I don't. I don't know. But I know you've you've had incredible success with music, and been in some amazing positions. But to have that the wherewithal to just assume that you can call somebody and say, "Hey, when you pick me up, have pot," like that they can <laughs> procure pot, especially when it was still illegal, and yeah, then. It was just expecting it to happen, like knowing that if this person's picking me up, oh, yeah, he'll be able to get that. Like just having that wherewithal to to assume that or just feel that way in general about people is incredible to me. Like yeah, just be able the to just confidence yep, was, the confidence was amazing. Although he did express – he was pretty confident in everything. and, and uh, he, But it was interesting talking to him because I was – he he's – he was kind of frustrated as an artist. Like he couldn't, he wanted to write his own songs, but he, they took him forever to write his own songs. And uh, I don't know, he had confidence, but then right before he went on, he got really nervous. <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> I had to pep talk him a little bit. Cause he's like, these, these kids aren't going to listen to me. You know, like, so that's why I went out and I was like, Hey, everybody pay attention. This is, there'd be no presidents without this guy. And blah, yes. blah. But anyway, bottom line is everybody out there in, in the world should go check out spider John Kerner. And uh, his album "Raised by Humans," I think, is his best. So start there. That's an amazing title. I like that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> so simple and obvious, but also yeah, yeah it could mean so many different things. Yeah, uh, yeah. So well, talking back to the connections, like I, I love what you said about you know being we're born connected to everything. Like it's, I mean, we're we're, we're yeah. reliant on things that we're not anymore. Like you know, reliant on your parents or somebody to take care of you connected to all these different things. And you start to unlearn things like lifting with your legs. You, you, you see a kid bend, like squat down and pick something up. You see a grown up do it. They're bending over at the, at the hips <laughs> yeah. and then they throw their back out. Right. Like you learn, you know how to fall, you know how to do all these things to stay alive. Uh, cause we're born with these giant heads and can't hold them up and can't, you know, you're yeah. not a deer that just gets up and walks away when they're born. Right. Um, so did you have, uh, you were mentioning a little bit, but did you have a period where you feel like you did disconnect like that and then get it back? Or did you always still have those connections throughout your, your adolescence where you kind of start I, to find yourself? Yeah, that's interesting. I definitely, I think lost it, lost that uh, pure connectivity, but I always had a little impulse, not necessarily even a voice, but an impulse to get back to it. Like a, um, like uh, like an itch that I couldn't quite scratch all the time. I was like, what, there is this thing. There's this other way of thinking that I can't, I remember just like, I can't pull it into focus, but I know it's at the time I was like, I, I know it's something to do with marijuana and jazz. <laughs> There's a long time where I would like smoke pot and put on Coltrane and walk in the woods and be like, this is close. This is pretty close. <laughs> um, but yeah, I always had the impulse or, or the drive to get back there. But even when I couldn't articulate what there was, and it turns out there is no back there. It's you are it all the time. There's no journey to something. You're like, you are you it. You are the journey. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
Um, but yeah, it, it took a long time and a lot of um, some mistakes and work and concentration and thought and experimentation to figure it out. But I really feel like I have arrived at a place where I have access. It's not like I flop around on the floor like a child all day, but there, it's almost like metaphorically you're driving a car as you go through life and you have your gearbox and you know, there's first gear, second, third, fourth, you're really intense. And, you know, but there's this, there's a reverse and there's a neutral and there's a deep neutral in the gearbox. And I think a lot of people don't see that gear. So it's just like, I can choose to go into deep neutral for half an hour a day and kind of like, Oh, there it is. Okay. Yeah. 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 All right. Now back to work. Got to write some checks and, you know, take care of business and all that shit. So it's funny when the Beatles, you know, I'm a huge Beatles fan. When the Beatles got into meditation and were quizzed about it by the press, it's always frustrating. I always want to like jump back in time because the, the typical response to the establishment response was like, well, what do you want us to do? Just like lie around in bed all day, like, you know, doing nothing. And, you know, you're, they, they felt threatened by it. Like Mm -hmm. the suggestion, they thought the suggestion by the Beatles was that, you know, stop, quit your job, float away, you know, tune in, tune out, that kind of shit. But really they were just saying, no, no, no. You just have the choice of, for 10 minutes a day you can but they weren't really articulating i mean there were kids in their 20s what yeah. do you want yeah <laughs> so i always want to like travel back in time and be like john paul ringo george let me take this one all right here's what <laughs> dude yeah and which, it's surrounded- it dovetails into my fantasies i had when i was a kid which is that the beatles would be running a la hard day's night beginning like by my house and george isn't with them because he's off somewhere else and they're like we need a guitar player and like i'll do it i'll do it (laughs) i've cycled that that uh that daydream over and over oh my god (laughs) dude yeah speaking of the beatles when i was i was playing with uh portugal the man for a while and and um yeah when i left the joke at work now is that i quit the beatles (laughs) because after i left everything just skyrocketed which i'm sure you know all about with with the presidents how things went nuts with that too and and uh that crazy ride but that's the joke that yeah why do you remember yeah. that time you quit the beatles you're the pete best of, of uh portugal the man yeah. <laughs> exactly dude and, and, or more more like the Stuart sutcliffe because he, <laughs> he he left on his own court pete was kind of uh, n- uh nudged out yeah yeah i love that quote the the is it john lennon that said when they asked about ringo uh, he said he doesn't even think he's the best drummer in the Beatles. And you know what? That is not, that is not true. No, he, he never said that. There's an amazing YouTube video that just came out about Ringo and why he's an incredible drummer. And my, a uh, couple people sent it to me and I watched it and it's amazing. First of all, it goes into like his choices about rhythm and the space he left and the uh-huh. unconventional, um, ways he kind of emphasized beats and the guy actually plays the beats and shows you what's up. And he, he makes a lot of, uh, um, he take, goes to great lengths to make sure everybody knows that John Lennon never said that it's one of those, like somebody else thought it was funny and it. turned it into reality. So no, he never said that so hard when I heard that. And that <laughs> it, it's, it's important to debunk these kind of Beatles myths, especially yeah. right before the new version of the let it be, film comes out which it also is going to debunk all kinds of mythologies about them not getting along and yoko breaking them up and blah blah blah, blah, blah. So, Man. anyway i love i love the truth that's a rabbit Beatles. hole super into the truth <laughs> of the Beatles. yes dude so um 
going going back, you had you had a band called Casper, didn't you? Like way well, back in the day, or went by Casper? When I was playing with Mark uh, and playing those, imp- I was Casper Baby Pants then. I wore a pair of baby's pants on my head. Really? <laughs> yeah, I went. I had no money, and I went to this like. Uh, food co-op is hippie food co-op and upstairs they had a little like room and a bin full of free uh winter clothing you know like a clothing exchange yeah. and i reached and grabbed this like hand knitted pair of baby pants and they fit me like a glove or like a hat that's incredible <laughs> yeah and the kids in my neighborhood started calling me baby pants and i already was going by casper so i put that uh, to make this weird experimental music i was working on so i just put them together and became Casper Baby Pants in the early 90s. So when it came time to make the kids music, I was kind of like, what do I call it? What am, what's it going to be? And I remembered the name, yeah. Casper Baby Pants. I was like, perfect. I'm already it. <laughs> That's crazy. A small decision like that has that much implication later. Those little things. Yeah, it probably really- just looked like one of those funky beanies that people were wearing. Like the, it was like a, it was like yeah, it was like hand knitted brown and cream striped, and it was heavy, yeah. like heavy little pair of pants. <laughs> and I don't know what happened to them. I always uh, the one year, like ninety three or something. I one you know summer went by, and then winter started to come, and I was like, oh yeah, the pants are under the cushion of the couch. Let me get them. They weren't there. I don't know. And it was so long. I don't know where they are. So I, I actually have a song on my. I think it's on the last casper record that hasn't come out yet uh, called the ballad of the baby pants and it's sort of uh, about like where are they what are they doing uh you know who who whose head have they found that they're in uh, like they're magic you know they found me and they like let me be myself and then they're out there doing it again to somebody else so if anybody's seen the baby pants let yes. me know <laughs> <laughs> it's like the long lost guitar or whatever was it billy corgan lost his or got a guitar stolen and they got it back like how oh, many wow, years really? later, uh, like wow. this amazing reuni- reuniting of this special guitar back from like Siamese Dream era, <laughs> that the Boy, Stratocaster that's just beautiful. The the weird old Tiesco guitar that I the uh, Beetle Paul uh, Beetle bass shaped yeah. guitar that played in the Lump video uh-huh. that got stolen in Denver. All of our guitars got stolen. Oh. Uh, there was this whole thing going on where these gangs would wait for the band to be done, follow the truck to the hotel and hit it right away. And, and uh, actually later in LA, I shared an elevator with Tom York from Radiohead and uh-huh. we kind of acknowledged each other and we we're talking for a second. And, Cause it had just happened like a week earlier. And I was like, yeah, we got all of our guitars stolen in Denver. He's like, you did us too. In fact, he said they had everything stolen, not just guitars, but the entire backline was stolen. So we commiserated over that. <laughs> so there's some gang driven, like massive guitar exchange going on, like black Probably. market well, guitar is, exchange. When they stole this guitar, I mean, if you look at the lump video, it's a two string, weird, crappy, you know, $75 Tiesco. Yeah. So I know they opened up the case and they're like, what? You know, like toss, like <laughs> this is worth nothing. So it was, it was not like they stole, you know, I, I, there might've been one or two valuable guitars in the, in the group, but not really. Um, we, at that point, we were still playing like at the most a $200 guitar. So um, yeah, uh, I, I just, I, I don't know, man, if I could find that guitar again, that would be remarkable. Yeah. I'd, and I wish you had a better reason to commiserate with Tom York and and come to <laughs> come together on something other than getting yeah, ripped right. off. Yeah, and we only had an elevator ride, so it was you yeah. know a short relationship. 
<laughs> Dude, if you if you establish that much on an elevator ride, like you should do a podcast, my friend. Yeah, we bonded. We bonded. Uh, it was it was the Miro Miro the Mondrian Hotel in L.A. and I that's not a very tall hotel, so yeah. we must have bonded very quickly. <laughs> wow, that's incredible. So, well, speaking speaking of you know uh, meeting people in in crazy play, like you did with with that project, you you played with Beck, didn't you? Did something with Beck? I did. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, way early uh, on. Yeah, there was. I so I used to busk in Boston, and there was another busker what? named Mary. Yeah, dude, we've got so many square. damn avenues here. What? Okay, uh, yeah, we'll go back ridiculous. to that. I, I, you know, sometimes I start compiling my uh, like thinking about my journey and all these little moments I've had, and I'm just like, what the? <laughs> but I think some of it is because I'm wide open. You know, I'm like a I'm like a antenna for energy or something and i yeah. just kind of so i don't know that i i can't help but think that there's something going on there but uh anyway i'm busking in boston and there's another busker named mary lou lord and she and i have become friends and we you know we have this ongoing thing where if i'm walking by and she's busking i take her spot while she uses the bathroom and vice versa so we had a little thing and then she, she and i started a band together called strumpet which uh, is actually this is the guitar I played on the debut President's record, and it's got a it's got a strumpet strumpet sticker right there. Although it's not really a sticker, it's I cut up another sticker <laughs> to make it say strumpet. In fact, this one, this Gur, used to be a Treater Wright uh, sticker, which was Mark Sandman's band before Morphine. Anyway, I was into making my own stickers out of other people's stickers back then because yeah. I had no stickers. So anyway, uh, Mary Lou and I play together, and then I moved to Seattle, and we don't I don't see her for a long time. And then she called me one day and was like, Hey, I share uh, a publisher with this guy Beck and he just got signed and he needs to put together a live band and you should be in the band. He's totally like your lost brother. And um, I kind of ignored her. I mean, it's kind of like if your phone rang and somebody said, Hey, there's this new guy named Schlobel and Schlobel is going to be massive. You got to be in Schlobel's band. And I was like, I don't know who Schlobel is. <laughs> And so uh, then she called me back like th a few months later. I was like, no, seriously, yeah, like we're coming to Seattle. I'll introduce you guys. He was doing a residency up and down the uh, West Coast, kind of just him and an acoustic guitar. And I saw two shows of his and I immediately fell in love with it. I mean, it was like the lyrics were so um, visual, like movies were going off in my head, you know, like it was yeah. it wasn't just about it was not about the music itself. It was about the visuals. And um Anyway, he and I bonded over that idea that songs are, are uh, you know, this like visual experience. Mm -hmm. What's going on, guys? This is Dewey from Peer Pleasure, and I want to tell you about our newest sponsor, DistroKid. DistroKid distributes your music across all online platforms. They are an amazing company. I've enjoyed working with them the last few weeks, and they're going to be with us for a while, and I really, really appreciate that. I love working with great companies, and DistroKid is one of them. Uh, they have an awesome thing they're doing right now called splits. Now, if you're working as most people are online, doing collaborations with people from all over the country, all over the world, as easy as that is with the internet, uh, you want to get those people paid when you put that music online. And splits can do that. You can add an unlimited amount of collaborators to any track. You can change the splits at any time. You can add or remove collaborators at any time. You can see previous splits. And all your collaborators are going to have to do is sign up for a DistroKid membership, a DistroKid account, so they can get paid. And as always, DistroKid never takes a cut. 
you and your collaborators get 100% of the earnings in total. A couple other awesome things that they do is they set up an official artist YouTube channel. Uh, you can use Spotify Canvas, Synced Lyrics, promo card to promote your release on social media, a mini video for your socials as well. There's just so many awesome things about using DistroKid. And like I said, I don't advertise things I don't use, haven't signed up for. I have signed up for this. It is a breeze, literally a breeze. And you can get going right away. So definitely check out DistroKid. And I want to give you 30% off your first year's DistroKid membership at any level. That is distrokid.com slash VIP slash PPP for Peer Pleasure Podcast. Once again, that is 30% off your first year's DistroKid membership at any level. Distrokid.com slash VIP slash PPP. Go check out DistroKid right now. Distrokid.com slash VIP slash PPP for 30% off. Hey, what's up? My name's Lurk, and I'm the host of Lamb Goat's Van Flip Podcast. Every week, I have in-depth conversations with bands from all over the scene, big and small. We also like to keep our finger on the pulse and showcase up-and-coming bands on the show as well. So come check out Lamb Goat's Van Flip Podcast. Hey, this is Aaron from No Simple Road. I'm inviting you to come hang out with Apple, Mel, and I as we talk with the musicians, artists, chefs, authors, and beyond from the world that turns us on. We're reaching into the improvisational music scene, the psychedelic culture, the festival world, and getting to know what makes the people tick that create those scenes. Come join us on the long, strange trip over at No Simple Road. Hey guys, this is Dewey from Peer Pleasure, and I wanted to tell you about Premium Pleasure, our premium subscription service that's available now. Peerpleasure.supportingcast.fm is the website. There's three tiers, tier one, tier two, and tier three. Tier one is $5 a month. It gets you the ad-free experience. Tier two gets you access to the Peer Pleasure Passcast. It gets you access to the videos of the interviews. It gets you merch discounts. Tier three is $20 a month. That gets you all of that. It gets you the Passcast, gets you the video footage, discounts on merchandise, and monthly Zoom calls well, with myself and other guests. We're going to have all kinds of stuff in there for you. There's all kinds of stuff in there for you now. There is, uh, I believe, 30 to 40 videos of these interviews. There is uh, multiple episodes of the Passcast. The Passcast is a podcast that I'd started separately that is me and another podcaster or me and a guest uh, discussing a deep dive into their favorite episode of Peer Pleasure. Um, so there's a bunch of those on there. So so-and-so and I would talk about the Chino Moreno episode. So-and-so and I would talk about uh, the Yvette Young episodes. And we would do a deep dive and tell where they came from, how we got the guest, stories of uh, that weren't discussed on the podcast or maybe weren't in there. Um, it's just another glimpse behind the curtain. So that's the big deal with this premium service is giving you a glimpse behind the curtain of how the podcast is made, gives you access to things I'm doing and things that we're doing with the show, um, gives you, you know, ad free stuff. It gives you just all kinds of, of things that we could throw in there to help make it a valuable part of your month. Cause I put everything out there on this show. I put everything I have into this show. Um, so being able to give you guys that little bit of extra is a big deal to me and having your support is a big deal to me because if we don't support our artists and creatives, we're not going to have any left. So I appreciate it. Peerpleasure.supportingcast.fm is the website. Go sign up today and get some of this premium pleasure. 
and then it's a it's a longer story but you know it's take a while to tell the whole thing which is kind of amazing but i ended up going to olympia he needed a slide guitar player to do the bar, bar, now, 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 live, you know, and all that. And I was like, I can do slide guitar. I had no idea how to play slide guitar. I had, <laughs> I didn't even know to slide. <laughs> I didn't know what I was doing. I just said yes. So I went to the music store. I bought a slide. I bought a slide guitar. I went to the Greyhound bus station. I went to Olympia. I got out of the bus. I walked to Calvin Johnson's house. I walked into the house. I walked into the basement and they're like, play slide on this song. I've never heard the song before. I don't know how to play slide. I'm just like, and, uh, you know, we hung out for a day or two there. And then a couple days later, my phone rang and it was Beck. And he's like, do you want to go on tour? I was like, yes, I do. Yes, sir. And that was it. I mean, I felt like it was like a moment, like, like a, a fork. And, uh, so yeah, I never kind of looked. And the beautiful thing about that experience was I was the only band member, not from LA. So Beck very graciously let me live with him. So we were roommates, uh, housemates. And then when he got to go play like on KCRW or do an in-store or something, he would take me along. And so we would drive over all over LA talking about, you know, his transition from bedroom four tracker to, you know, um, this new plateau of, a, of, a, of, a whatever, uh, accessibility or, mm-hmm. uh, visibility. Um, so a lot of talking about that thing and then like playing together at these little, uh, you know, uh, promotional events mm-hmm. before going on tour and rehearsing. And anyway, it was, it was like going to fame school. And then, cause the presidents had already started and we yeah. already made set tape. And then I went on tour with Beck and then I went back to the presidents after two tours with Beck. Cause the tape we made was selling like hotcakes. Um, and I wasn't there. So I was like, I gotta go home. I gotta do my thing. And so, uh, yeah, it was like, I got to go to fame school and then I got my own experience and I learned <laughs> a lot. It was amazing. It's how it worked out was crazy. That's and it wild. all culminated, culminated a few ways. I mean, the backstory, I could, there's some cosmic shit that went down dude what uh, is it tell me this cosmic shit we've got time i don't know if you right, got time. Right, i right. have time my there's, friend we don't limit this thing there's two cosmic aspects uh one is so as i was waiting to meet back at the crocodile cafe i was doodling and i used to love to do these like sort of just stream of consciousness doodles i still do i do visual art now too um which we'll talk about later but I'm doing it. And I ended up drawing this picture of these two sharks kind of, and this uh, snowman shaped character in between on a, on a, I don't, something between the shark's mouths. And there's this snowman. I remember I drew a, a bullseye on the snowman's belly for some reason. I remember thinking, Oh, it's like Ubu Wa, the uh, surrealist play from the twenties. He had a bullseye on him and a crown. And I was like, Oh, it's a King. Oh, it's two sharks fighting over this King or to see who would be King or whatever. And I folded it up and put it away. And for some reason it stayed in my pocket. And, uh, and then, uh, the whole thing happens with Beck and he calls to say, do you want to go on tour? And I said, yes, hung up. And I went to the backyard to kind of just breathe in the day. Like, this is it. I'm, I'm going on tour with a professional band and, you know, like I'm life's going to change. And there'd been a windstorm the night before. And there's a few pieces of debris in the, in the yard. And one of the pieces of debris was a four, it was a folded up 
you remember like when you were a kid, you'd get this big sheet of paper that was like a space for the story. And then a bunch of dotted lines on the bottom where you'd write the little, you know, message. Mm -hmm. And then, so it was that it was a classic old school, like kids school, elementary school drawing. I open it up and it's two fish and a King. And it says one time two sharks were fighting to see who would be King. Okay. So I keep the two pieces of paper and what bore out was that in Beck's shadow kind of or aura i was you know i was real creative and having my own time and then i get with beck and we're hanging out together and his creativity was so red hot um i find out later i i couldn't figure out where he was getting all of his ideas from he was really doing what i ended up doing in casper later which is like dipping your your ladle into the roots of the music like old blues old folk you know shit that has integrity and then adding your own you know lyrical surreality and flavor to it which mm -hmm. is totally what he was doing so the music had this like abstract bizarreness to it lyrically but it had this integrity to it musically at the time i was like how oh, what is this alchemy how the hell is he doing this and my creativity like shut down around him so i was supporting him and i was fighting kind of fighting for my identity in a way like there were times where i was kind of like "Ooh, this is too intense you know like i'm losing myself mm -hmm. So anyway, I feel like I was fighting for myself, fighting to see if I could, you know, survive as the king of my own yeah. realm. If see you who's going to be king. So it, it turned out to be prophetic. That's now, incredible. then we, we get together and we play and we go on tour and all that stuff. And um, I haven't seen him for a few years. And I start having this. Now, this is going to sound wackadoo, but I start having this recurring dream where I'm in the basement of a hotel and it's like a vaulted ceiling and it's a restaurant, big white tablecloth table, lots of people around. It's me and my band and friends. And um, it's an Italian restaurant and tap, tap, tap on my shoulder. And I turn and it's Beck and it's really good to see. And the thing I always thought was, would it be good to see him after I quit the band? It would be weird. <sighs> Tap, 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 turn in the dream. I turn, it's back, and we're like, yeah, it's very happy. It's like a, you know, very positive moment. And it, I don't have recurring dreams, but I had this like four or five times. Well, then we're in Norway, in real life, in a restaurant, in the basement of a hotel with vaulted ceilings, <laughs> at a table, big tablecloth, friends, band, yeah. tap, tap, tap. I turn its back and it's like, yay, really good to see him. The dream effing came true. Wow. It was so weird. And I actually, it was so weird. And I was kind of shaken by it. And he and I squirreled off to a table in the corner and had a catch up. And I had to tell him like, dude, I have to tell you about this because this is weird. Yeah. And, uh, you know. So I, I let him know what was up. I didn't tell him about the the drawing about the sharks and the king, but I did tell, tell him about the dream Dude, thing. So, that's insane. I don't know. There's something about that intersection of he and I that at the time was it was really challenging. It was really um, thrilling. It was it. I don't know. Like we cross streams in a like energy streams in a really interesting, weird way, and. Uh, I would really love to catch up with him now. Um, and actually, I have friends on Vashon who have, who are friends with a kid that knows Cosimo, his son, mm -hmm. and uh, told me that the other day I came up in conversation and Beck was kind of like, I got to catch up with that guy. So if you're listening, Beck, which I know you are because you watch, you know, this is your favorite podcast. 
he might be dude don't be surprised call me up at five 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 don't be surprised hey portugal backed him in saint vincent as his backing band so that connection can happen i i you know i'm still friends with his mom bb uh she there you and i go. Are, yeah she was great she was re- i was kind of the oldest band member for some reason i got along with her his mom really well <laughs> so she's a huge casper fan she was a um she was an andy warhol she was a factory girl back in the day wow back in the 60s so wow. um she knows what's up. And uh, so she's a Casper fan. Nice. So she, every time I send her an album, she's like, I danced to the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> Let me ask you this. So when you walked into that restaurant at the hotel in the basement in Norway, did you think of the dream or did you not think of it until he tapped you on the shoulder? Like you were walking into the set of your dream. I, ooh, I don't remember. Like no, I'm in the basement not, of a hotel not. restaurant here. Wait a minute. I did not know. I did not think about it until so it was tap, genuine tap. It was, shock. Yeah, it was the tap tap where I went, whoa, like, because <laughs> he was not only that, but behind him was one of the arches. So it was like Beck and an arch. And that was in the dream. So I don't know, man. I don't know. I don't know. I'd never it's never anything. Nothing like that's ever happened to me since. I mean, yeah. I mean, other kind of plugged into the universe kind of things have happened, but not the dream thing. Sure. So. Anyway, I don't think I've ever told that story. So Dude, I have a fresh one. That's Fresh. wonderful. That's wonderful. And to think when that hotel was constructed that one day this is going to be the set of like a, a cosmic reuniting, you know, yeah. something that is massively important, you know, to you and him. And and I mean, just for the for the sake of thinking that there's more going on as far as like connections. Yeah, that's massive. That's huge. So you yeah, you was- left Beck's band to go back to the president's. You'd yeah. already been selling some 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 tapes, and then go on to sell millions of albums. Yeah, like you went from one massive success to another massive success, like just shifting, like or kind of back and forth. Presence had started. Yeah. Hey, I'm gonna go do this for a minute. Okay, I'm gonna go do this for a minute. I yeah, like what yeah. you said about Fame School. That was great because oh, yeah, then totally. all of a sudden you're into it. How fast did it happen for Presidents? Where you were like, what oh, is going on? Super fast. I mean, so we. We, uh, whatever, we started with Jason in December of 93. And by the end of the summer, 94, we had played this show at um, a club in Seattle during a citywide festival called Bumbershoot. Mm -hmm. So this was a ASCAP showcase during Bumbershoot. I did not understand the importance of this gig. This was a club we played all the time. So I was like, oh, it's another show at Mo, you know, whatever. Um, nobody explained to me that there would be like industry people in the audience. So I had no idea. We just did our usual shambly, weird, crappy, funny show. And the next day we had seven major label offers. So it went from like, I'm unaware of anything. I'm happy. and just playing my stupid songs to like, oh my God, I've got to like figure this out. (laughs) You know, how do you attack that? How do you attack something like that? Did you already have representation? Uh, we, we got a manager real quick. Uh, and, but that was, that was the first decision. We get somebody to manage the whole thing. And somebody, you know, this person, Stacy Slater was really excited to do it. So we're like, you're hired. Now uh, we didn't think about it for <laughs> even for a second. Yeah. We thought all the other decisions we thought about a lot, lawyer, label, you know, publicist, all that kind yeah. of stuff. But, um, we had to get going. So, um, we divided and conquered. Early on, we decided, okay, Dave, Dave Dieterer is going to take care of legal. He's going to read Donald Passman's book, everything you need to know about the music business or whatever it was uh-huh. at the time. 
and he's going to, he's going to be able to read contracts and negotiate. Jason's going to be late night PR. He's going to make everybody feel special by partying with him until four in the morning. Um, I'm going to take care of keeping the creative ball flowing and rolling and kind of insulate myself a little bit from those other activities. So Mm -hmm. we just, we became a three headed monster. Um, and we really decided early on, like, we're going to be lean about this. We're going to like make money. We're going to, um, come home with money from Mm -hmm. tour. We did not take a big advance. We licensed the record to Columbia for seven years in, in exchange for like a $10,000 a month, kind of pay your rent, buy real equipment thing that lasted, I don't know, like six months or so. Um, and so later, you know, seven years later, we got the record back and we own it now. So that was, and that was a lot of Dave's, you know, uh, acumen and, and, uh, sort of business savvy driving yeah. that. Anyway. Yeah. That's how we did it. That's we just crazy. divided and conquered, you know, and, uh, it's not that it wasn't disorienting and insane. And, you know, I mean, we had a business meeting with Madonna that I'll never forget. And dude, <laughs> crazy shit you know like <laughs> tell me so, this tell me this business meeting with but this is the second time madonna business meeting has happened on this podcast uh oh, yeah. but chino from deftones told his story of going to madonna's office and oh, yeah. basically aud- auditioning for her manager uh only like playing for her manager alone like just them and he's heard one song or whatever and was like all right i've heard enough we want, let's make a deal and madonna wow. came in like comes in out of nowhere and was that Guy, Guy O'Siri or uh, was it Freddie DeMann? Freddie DeMann was running the label. I but think Guy it's Guy O'Siri. I, Guy I'll O'Siri. have to listen back. But um, yeah, and he was he was telling all this, the whole story. But um, it's the second time. This is the second time a Madonna meeting. His, if you don't mind, Ty, I would like to hear it because it, that's <laughs> well, a I've weird told, thing. Yeah, I've told this story before, but it is kind of a it's, it's a goodie. Um, so uh, she we got down to two labels mm-hmm. from seven to two. And it was Columbia and Maverick. And so we're trying to figure it out. And we're literally like, I remember sitting in a hotel room at the Farmer's Daughter Hotel in on Fairfax in LA. And just we're just like, what do we do? Do we flip a coin? No, we have to have one more meeting with each and figure it out. Uh, so we had the meeting with Madonna and we were there and she was late. And so we were restless. And we went out in the parking lot. And we had this little Nerf football that we used to take with us on tour to kind of like later it was Frisbees when we had more room, but Nerf football was enough for the early days. And we're tossing it around and an assistant kind of opens the door to the hallway that leads to the offices that also leads to the parking lot and said, she's here. She's ready. Come on in. Everybody goes in, but I'm kind of biding my time. I'm throwing the football up to myself and I kind of get near the door and I think, can I just like toss the football to myself and go through the door and I catch it in the hallway? And so I do this kind of like move and then I feel something by my foot and I'm wearing these like thick leather 20s style brakeman boots, right? That I had spray painted gold. So they're leather, they're thick leather and there's something pushing on the boot. And I look down and it's Madonna's dog her tiny, tiny chihuahua, little like (laughs) ping pong ball headed chihuahua. And it's looking up at me and shaking and I'm looking at it and (laughs) I'm just like, holy crap, like a quarter inch to the left. And I would have completely crushed this dog. Oh my God. And it's just this generic hallway, like office complex hallway with nothing in it, no art, just blank hallway. (laughs) The dog just like leaves and goes around the corner. And I'm just like, my heart is just like pounding out of my chest. 
So I go into the office where we're supposed to meet her and she's still not there. And so time's gone by and I get a little restless and I kind of go to the shelf where there's all these albums and books and I'm kind of looking through stuff. And she must have come in the room and went like that or something because there's no sound in the room. And there's a tap on my shoulder, another tap on the shoulder <laughs> and a tap, tap, tap. And I turn around and it's Madonna and she's like in my face. <laughs> she's inches from my face. And I go, oh, you know, I go, oh. and uh, so again, my heart's like skipping a beat. So anyway, we start the meeting. Everything goes great. You know, um, she totally got us. She got that we were silly, but that there was a lot of craft in what we did. And uh, yeah. we had integrity. Now, before she showed up, Guy Osiri played us a cassette of the girl that they just signed, the Canadian artist named Alanis Morissette. Oh, yes, again, her. <laughs> again, it could have been schmazzle, schmizzle, you know, like uh-huh. we just signed this this act. They're called schmazzle. Uh, and we think they're going to be huge. And we listen and we were like, yeah, that's that's pretty great. Uh, you know, it's got energy, whatever. But, you know, ultimately, we decided to go with Columbia. And I'm glad we did, because if we went with Maverick, we would have been the, like the little stepchild to this other story of, you know, mm-hmm. strong woman uh, and strong woman get together to make strong woman empire. And, and yeah. we're these little white guys like um, or little men, I guess it doesn't matter. They were white. But um so anyway, all that happened, but we do the meeting and then, uh, to cap it all off, uh, as a great memory, she kind of took me aside a little bit at the end and said, look, it, whether you sign with us or not, just know that you're really good at what you do and you're really good at your craft and you will never get, um, positive feedback from the critics or the establishment for, for, you'll never get, be acknowledged for that craft. So don't expect it. Just let that be what you do behind the scenes and then, you know, allow what you do to be perceived as less than because it's fun. Mm-hmm. And uh, she was right. That's amazing. So advice. She saved me a lot of uh, frustration and heartache. Yeah, that's incredible <laughs> advice. Yeah. And you know, what's funny about that is if either way that story worked out, whether you stepped on the dog or not, either way, you'd be signing to Columbia. (laughs) (laughs) That is good. I like that. I might have to adopt that that as the uh, tagline when I tell the story. There you go. Either way, face to face with Madonna. Where's my dog? Yeah. Columbia's over there. What's also weird is that when I went to college in 1983 in New York, she was all over the radio. And I remember having this experience, like coming out of every dorm room all over the place. And I remember having this feeling after like four months of Madonna just being all over the radio, like, is the radio ever going to play anything else? <laughs> like, yeah, she, she was so like there when I first came to New York. And then to have a meeting with her later and have like an interaction and get advice was, it's just, just such a weird like I see myself in my dorm room and then I see myself getting advice from her. <laughs> wow, <what the> hell? <laughs> so you did not get the naked poster signed by Madonna. No. no. Is that, was that a perk? That's from a thing. Me? That's a thing. Yeah. It's in Chino's uh, living room. Like they're not living room, but like a basement studio area. Uh, that, because they, they signed with Maverick of course. And, and that oh, was okay. that, but like, see, that's, that's what you get when you yes, sign. With yes. Yes. That's what I was waiting for you to say. Yeah, we, we if, got a naked if you don't sign with us. We got a naked poster of uh, Tommy Matola. Uh, <laughs> not not quite the same. Yes. <laughs> In the same, yeah, dude. That's wonderful. I love yeah. that. I love that. That's incredible. Yes. Uh, so 
So yeah, second time Madonna, dude, Bono stories from U2 come up on here all the time. Like I'm shocked at how many people have the same interact, not same interaction, but interaction with people of such a level of fame yeah. that it's, it's just crazy. But, and then so you guys, I haven't I, even told you my half a dozen weird Eddie Vedder uh, uh, meetups. Dude, okay. Hold on a sec. I've got to tell you this. So my goal on this show, when I started it four years ago, <clears throat> buddy of mine's favorite band is Pearl Jam. I was like, dude, what if we got like Eddie Vedder on the show? That'd be crazy. And I said, you know what? I'm just going to start hashtag. I, I was, we were talking about names and how important names are. And that if his name was Freddie Vedder, Pearl Jam probably would not have been huge. And I follow, right. I believe that. Like Eddie Vedder has that cool. But if it was Freddie, a small change. Could have tanked it's everything. versus Eva. So I've hashtagged everything Freddie Vedder for this show. Okay. Hoping that at one point he sees that and is like, dude, what the hell? It's it's Eddie. Like, what's wrong with this guy? And reaches out himself. It's not happened. He's he's my best friend whose favorite band is Pearl Jam. Uh, his uncle is Eddie Vedder's neighbor. And, and Eddie goes over there all the time, gave him a guitar, gives him tickets. He's not a Pearl Jam fan. He never goes. But he keeps leaving tickets on his counter or whatever. Uh, but yeah, so Freddie has not gotten in touch. And who knows if it ever <laughs> will happen. But... I'm hoping one day if we do cross paths, I can tell him that story because now someone named their cat Freddie Vetter. So when you look That's at the hashtag, it's my stuff and someone's cat. And someone's cat. So I think yeah. it's backfiring. Anyway, but Eddie Vetter stories are great as well. I would love to hear that. But like the I just yeah. had to put that in there because it's the universe. Yeah. There's something about he and I, every time we cross paths, it's like a magical, magical night and uh or date or whatever. Um yeah, just I don't know. Uh, I think in a parallel universe, we're best friends, but, um, you know, he's a busy man. So, yeah. uh, I, I did get, you know, over the years I've gotten, uh, Chris Novoselic and Stone Gossard, uh, and, um, Steve Turner from mud honey mm -hmm. and a bunch, you know, all the, all the grungies have played on Casper albums, but, uh, I've still have not gotten Eddie and I wrote a perfect song for Eddie and I to do together called always keep a ukulele in your trunk. Cause he's a big ukulele yeah. guy, but I, uh, I couldn't, I couldn't, uh, I couldn't rope, a, I couldn't rope the man in. So Dude. we're, you know, we're neighbors. We live in the same neighborhood. He's a West Seattle guy. In fact, Katie and I put our kayak in right by his house. Oh, nice. Okay. So you live right on that road. Right? And I've told him like, you know, we go in, it's, we, we put in right by your house. He's on a dead end mm -hmm. right on the water. Yeah. Yeah. Right. He's the like, end of the block. Just, come, you know, just come knock on the door or whatever, but they're never there. So, <laughs> you know so many connections chris this so is cosmic many. it's all cosmic these, these little feelers yeah awesome. man i know it's like uh one, once you turn that shit on i don't know i think people my theory has always been that if i can be that childlike self and like put out that energy people want that energy whether they know it or not and i think it, it's like an invitation I think the presidents were like an invitation yeah. to ride along with us. We're not trying to ask for your worship. You know, like I definitely like when I saw Oasis live, mm -hmm. I definitely immediately the, the dynamic is we require your worship, you know, mm -hmm. um, and then somehow it's a subtle thing, but it's felt not generous. It felt needy. Yeah. And so I think we were trying to broadcast a generous invitation, like, come along. We can't do this without you. We are one thing, you know, mm -hmm. like 
the band and the audience are this one thing that makes this energy explode. It's not, we own all the energy and you have to watch us use it. You know, you're, yeah. you're part. So, yeah. Uh, so maybe, maybe keeping that, keeping that, I don't know, that tone going just in regular life means all these things happen. You know, you dream yeah. the future and you, you get advice from your former nemesis on the radio and <laughs> you uh, put your kayak in right next to a rock star. And I think you get more <laughs> hits on your first record than the Alanis. Maybe? I don't know. Did you record? Do you want to know? I, I, no, I don't know I which songs were on do. that record, but the the well, you you ought to know was the, the yeah hit. oh yeah 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 that was the hit. But she had like multiples at that same time. But you guys had like what five? Oh, off no, that first no. record. I'd Four? say I'd say I'd say the popular conception is that we had three. There's three. Lump okay, and Kitty, and then maybe you could add Dune Buggy Dune on Buggy. there. Dune Buggy, dude. Those, that record was so good. And and I remember, I'm trying to remember how old I was. I think I was in either middle school. Or going towards high school when that record came out, because I heard it through friends. We had the friends of mine that we then became into uh, bands, and then Portugal the Man, all those guys together. We all knew, knew each other in middle school. Mm. And the first hangout session we had, uh, they they had the first like Green Day records, like the early Green Day records before the mm. the major label stuff. The first Weezer record, and then the President's record. Like it was all in there. Like it was all in this uh -huh. group of let's expose ourselves to things that's it was good awesome <laughs> it was awesome and it was so it, you guys were always so tight and like you could tell you guys like were serious like there was it was you know comical in spots but like the grooves were there and like the 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 connectivity and the the like that the second is the second verse of peaches where the drums kick in with that do, 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 like and it but i think of that when i when you say presidents of the united states of america I go to that section of the song because that groove hit right at the right time. And it's, yeah. I have these little pictures in my head of records of like moments that capture me. And that's yeah. one of them. And it's so simple. Yeah. But it's yeah, yeah. paramount. Like it's, it's huge. And uh, yeah, yeah, I can't overstate how great a drummer Jason is. There was, uh, I mean, he's, he plays to the, to the lyrics, mm -hmm. which is incredible. You know? Yeah. He's, he's just got this open kind of, yeah, uh, he's not a metronome. I don't mean that he's not in time, but he doesn't consider himself a metronome. He consider I think he's a painter more, you know, painting pictures with the drums, which I did. Yeah, that's where it has the natural feel. It doesn't feel like a calculated step. Like it's natural. It's 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 breathing. It's living. Like that's the the best part about that, you know. And and uh, yeah, it's just those moments, those little moments. And what you're saying about like with Oasis and you guys, like. Yeah, Oasis, great songs, like yeah. great sound. I love that band, but I know what you're saying. And it's almost like you guys are more of like a vacuum. Like you're absorbing the energy of the audience instead of putting on a show. Like you are all yeah. encompassing. They are putting on a show, shine the lights so we can't see anybody, and boom, here's your here's yeah. your hits you want to hear. You know, yeah, we're yeah. not fighting today, so you're gonna get both of us singing. Like yeah. You know, it's it's a whole different ballgame, but you are open and receptive and you're connecting all those dots that are in front yeah. of you in the crowd. It's beautiful. Yeah, yeah it's, it's an amazing thing. And it was really uh, easier to pull off back in those days when MTV was sort of like the uh, reference point for people to, to, to learn how to be a crowd. You know, like there were so many there were those live videos of like Pearl Jam and 
uh, I don't know, maybe Nirvana had some live stuff, but, um, you know, if it was a live setting to a video, it was, it was as much about the crowd going crazy and crowd surfing and the hair and all this stuff. So it was, it was great back then because the crowd knew what to do. Yeah. They were like, it's, we are part of the, here's a band that's letting us be part of the show, you know, like, yeah. So it, I mean, I remember when we sang naked and famous girls took off their tops. <laughs> I mean, it was just de rigueur. It happened yeah. everywhere all the time. It was just like to the point where we're like, okay, there's more boobs. Um, <laughs> and you know, of course there was a fight that that ended and it never started up again because that, that moment in time where the crowd had a, had a, a role or had a yeah. script. They had a script and didn't um, have camera phones. <laughs> yeah. Right. Everyone was completely present. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's why we started playing as, and that's why I've been in bands is because I'm just like, what are we going to do this week? Well, let's, let's write some songs and go play in the subway. Yeah. Let's punk rocket. And uh, that'll be interesting. That'll be better than sitting around. And now sitting around has, you're accompanied by technology that allows you to sort of, um, and it's not good or bad. It just is mm-hmm. what it is. But we had to invent fun. You know, yeah. we were under pressure to invent fun. Otherwise, life would just slip away. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I remember I would put, I would fill a balloon in the up in Lyon Petersburg. I lived on a on like a main street, a main street if there is one, and then all this dust would collect next to the sidewalk. And I would take a balloon and I would fill it with the dirt from the side of the road and tie a string to it and swing it around. That was my toy for the day. Like, and I loved it. I loved it. I would try to hit stuff with it or throw it into a tree and like get it back. But I would so do wait, that. Would you eventually want it to explode and have all the dirt make like a mushroom cloud? Of- no, that wasn't my intention, but it happened. Like yeah, eventually that- it would just pop. It was kind of like a, a jack in the box. Like when is this going to pop yeah, or give out, right? Because all those little rocks are going to eventually – work their way through and uh that was my I toy some, i have to get some water Hold on. Okay. i have a little water container here i'm a big water fan so hold on well the light changed while i'm over here so you can really see my guitars yeah you can see I the guitar that. you blend into the wall now and i can see the guitars really well uh, water. water i'm watching the crown so this is water <laughs> dude in a mason jar very northwest. I've got, yeah, there's mason jars uh, everywhere. That was actually vodka. So here we go. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> again, again, bringing back memories. Jeez. Woo! Or or no memories. Or no memories. Yes, <laughs> memories waking up on the side of freeways. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's a cosmic connection. Instead of collecting dust from the side of the road, waking up on the side of the road, wondering how I got there. You know, 25 years later. Ooh, yeah <laughs> manifest manifesting manifesting itself but yeah, uh yeah. dude i love i love uh i love your energy and i love your your connectivity like i love that kind of being the the theme here kind of oh uh, wait do you hear the music i'm working on now because it's i've rediscovered a uh like what a uh part of myself that has made this kind of music my whole life, but I never really teased it out and made anything in, out of it. Yeah. Are you familiar with a band called Spaceman three? No. Okay. Or loop. No. Or there's this whole world that I got immersed in, in the late eighties of uh, like drone rock, you know, like okay. 
heavy. Yeah. Lyrics way back, reverberated. Um, Shoegaze kind of stuff, like the really thick. Really repetitive. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's okay. Like almost connecting to Indian music or, you know, trancey kind of stuff. But it's guitar fuzzy. Mm -hmm. And I made music like this my whole life but never had a, and I've always kind of felt like, God, I'd love to just start a band. I'll just put on like a, you know, a long black wig and just play this. Like, <laughs> so nobody will know it's me. It's just like, yeah. I'd like everybody in the band to have long black wigs, no faces, just like heavy, you know, twilight lighting and yeah. everybody zones out. Anyway, I've started to develop it and figure it out. And I'm, I, it's like another cork has come off another volcano, like it did for Casper and uh -huh. the songs out i've got like 30 songs i'm sending it to people to get feedback a few industry people that i respect and they're all like do it do it do it so i think i'm starting a new phase and it's and it is connected to that idea of energy it's all about the themes are all like you know um consciousness uh, connectivity, electricity, radiation, um, energy, electricity, you know, time, uh, consciousness, perception. So I'm getting to kind of like write abstractly, lyrically. Like I'll just start a groove going and just make up gibberish until something pops out. So it's not like I'm, you know, ex writing a song and then executing it like I do with the Casper thing. Mm -hmm. I keep holding this up. <laughs> Um, you know, the cast of the Anyway, it's, uh, that's all I'll say about it because I don't know. I, also, I'm just doing it to feel good. Like the yeah. pandemic is stressing me out. And I started making this music and I just started my whole nervous system just sort of relaxed. So anyway, I'm doing it as a therapy for now. But who knows? It might turn into something real. So you hear, you heard it here first. Dude. That's excellent. I've, I, that's why I do this show. It's my therapy. Like connecting with you today completely changed my mood. I'll be inspired for hours. Like it's, you know, it's something I have to do. And I, I'll yeah. overschedule myself with stuff. Like, and it's it, the weird things that come from it. The connections, the this, this ran into this, this made this, like this got this going. It's, it's wild. If you think about it, it can actually give you anxiety on how much is that. Because you got to think if you're not receptive to it, all these things would have passed. That hotel situation, you wouldn't have thought another thing about it because you would have I, tied it together. But if you are tying those things together, it can almost give you anxiety trying to keep up and remember things and kind of, yeah, you know. Yeah, I do know because uh, there's an aspect of songwriting that is stressful because I feel like if something starts and I don't see it through, it might be like a ghost that just like passes. So I gotta, I gotta grab it, but you don't want to be too grabby. You know, you can't, you gotta like just open up and allow things to flow rather than like, um, if you're too grabby, you'll also miss it, you know, like, so, you know, you gotta keep your relationship with the universe, um, kind of a two way street or something. Like you don't want to be too demanding. Like, Hey universe, come on, man. I need some chocolate cake now. Yeah. Stat. <laughs> You're a part of it, though. You got to give to it as much as it's giving you. You know, it's just this push and pull. Yeah. You know, it's that it's, it's, Oasis presence, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And hey, I don't want to slag Oasis. In fact, uh, Noel Gallagher has an acoustic show on something. I don't know. It's like a show about um, him doing an. It's him. Him kind of. It's about him and his songwriting. Mm -hmm. I think it's songwriting. But he plays acoustic and he plays live with just a keyboard player and acoustic guitar awesome 
It's so Dude, so good. Rules. They they do. Oh, They're I, great. When you hear those songs and his new songs play mm-hmm. that way, you're just like, oh yeah, they are brilliant. That Liam Gallagher solo record, the like I think it's Wall Walls of Walls of Glass or Wall of Glass. It's incredible. Like the record's yeah. fantastic. And I I've I've liked on a side note, watching Oasis interviews have been like kind of a thing for me, like to just to watch them because it's so funny because they're so just like, I don't want to do this, like and I hate doing interviews. But later on, Liam seems to kind of have seen he was kind of being a jerk about it and mm-hmm. kind of realizing this is kind of cool. And he's starting to kind of warm up. It's kind of like the Grinch, like watching the <laughs> Grinch till the end. And uh, now he's kind of into it and laughing and smiling. And it's like, who is this? Like, you um, see, it's I like guess. someone going through recovery and coming back to the other side, like intervention or something where they're so low. And they come back five months later and they're just smiling and glowing and like appreciative yeah. of things. Like it's it's a cool like little little side note story of watching that realization yeah. hit. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, you, you want people to be happy for sure. Yeah. So it's well. nice to be finding some happiness. But uh, yeah. Uh, and I, yeah, I, I, I liked that band. In fact, when we were in the UK, you know, the UK press loves a rivalry and we were pitted against Oasis there for a little while. Like they invented a feud. And so whenever we do press in the UK at that time, we'd be like, so what's going on with you and Oasis? And I like, I have no idea. You made it up. <laughs> it's kind of like John Lennon saying that Ringo's not even the greatest. That's right. Is, somebody made it up. Now it's I'm learning true. stuff today. See, this is not true. Yeah. Watch that. Watch that. You go on YouTube and go, uh, you know, I don't know, Ringo drums. I, I don't know what it, what you do to find it, but it was just posted recently. Okay. A guy with glasses and a beard and he's, he's, breaking it down it's okay fascinating i'll do that i'll do that i'm 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 while i bounce all this down uh i always wait and bounce it down while i'm here so before i leave so i know it's done and i didn't lose it <laughs> it hasn't happened yet it's like 200 some episodes in but like i don't uh i always bounce it down and i'm always have something on in the background but i'll probably do something like that and check that out okay. because check it out i get all these cool things but dude chris blue thank you so much man for doing this uh thank you for all the music over the years and you know i'm stoked to hear what you're doing now that sounds really good I, i'm really stoked to hear what you're doing now yeah, um you're, you're gonna lose your so when you have something that you can share shoot me an email or whatever and i'd love to listen to it um okay but dude thank you for the time i mean the time if you think everything's connected you know time is valuable like you could have been doing literally anything else for this hour and 15 minutes and uh <laughs> you spent it with me and i appreciate that and the people listening are spending it with us it's a beautiful thing but uh, it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for having me. It's fun. It's fun to uh, chat and fun to meet new people. I mostly say yes to podcasts because I'm like, I want to meet people in, yeah, this, in this shutdown day and age. Sure. And we're close. I'm in Portland. When this thing's over, oh, yeah. who knows? Portland, hang out. Oh, we miss Portland. I come down there twice a year to do Casper shows and we haven't been Dude, down since. So. When that's back on, I'm going to come to that and I'll come to the next one and bring my kids. That'll be awesome. You know who lives in Portland who I love is John McRae from. Uh, um, from uh I'm, I'm spacing john mccray from uh i'm going the distance cake down, cake sorry really sorry, oh yeah he lives down there and we another band out. i love he's great i love john um and we yeah we hang out when i come down to portland too and have breakfast together and stuff so. dude that's awesome where do you get breakfast not to put you on the spot but there's oh, portland's uh, a breakfast tin town shed. Tin, tin shed right down the street that place is amazing <laughs> And then the tradition is after I do a double header of Casper shows at the Village Ballroom, 
me and the promoter and uh, they're a couple, uh, Beth and Dean, me and Katie and Beth and Dean go to Tin Shed and I get uh, a double shot of their jalapeno vodka. Mm. And it, and after two sets and mm. talking to kids and everything, my throat's so ready for that. And it's just like that first sip of that jalapeno vodka after the double header. Uh, <laughs> one of my favorite moments in my life. And I miss it. Dude, soon, uh, soon. Yeah, it'll be back. We're big Tin Shed fans. Bamboo Sushi is another, uh, you know, mainstay. Uh, there's all. I mean, we love Portland, dude. We, that's awesome. We, we go down there for the doubleheader, and then we stay for like three more days and just eat and walk around. Sweet, my friend. Well, yeah. If this thing ends it's anytime soon, let's let's get together. That'd be sweet. I, I I'll bring Sounds the kids good. to the show. Tin Shed's a good good place, man. There's there's uh, yeah. But I, but yeah. I do, I, I appreciate the time a lot, man. I really do. And, uh, okay. these are all special to me. These episodes are all little vignettes of time and, and, uh, yeah, yeah. it's grown into something cool. So I appreciate it, man. Awesome. Well, thanks for having me. It's been fun to, uh, um, throw up a bunch of words. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what I was going to say. I, sometimes I start sentences and I don't know what, I don't know where to, how to finish them. That's the best part. <laughs> It keeps you on your toes. That's those happy accidents. Yes, exactly. Right on, my friend. All well, right. be be well, and uh, we'll we'll talk soon. Okay, take care. All right, my friend. Bye. Bye. All right, guys. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Chris Ballou from the Presidents of the United States of America and Casper Baby Pants, Beck, all sorts of stuff. Uh, as you guys heard those stories, just the weirdest stuff that comes out of these things, the weirdest uh, coincidences and things like that. Uh, it's never, never lost on me. I do love these conversations and where they go. Uh, so once again, guys, thank you for coming back week after week. Uh, check out our sponsors, Ryder Evan Robeson Studios on Instagram, SX Coffee Roasters. Uh, the code for the SX Coffee Roasters is pleasure, and that'll get you 10% off your order. Sweet Drop CBD, sweetdrop.com. Uh, is going to have a 20% off coupon code, and that's pleasure, all capitals. Uh, Stringjoy, head over to Stringjoy and get yourself some amazing guitar strings. I've been using them for about a month now, and they are incredible. You can get custom gauges, all sorts of amazing, amazing stuff. Check out Classic Grit on Instagram. That's Riley from Thrice's company. They are very, very, very uh, well done, baseball, hardcore-themed clothing. It's fantastic. So check those guys out. And guys, thank you so much for all the reviews and reaching out and, and uh, you know, telling friends about the show. And don't forget to go uh, sign up for the Facebook group, the Peer Pleasure Podcast Inner Circle. Uh, hit that up on Facebook. And there's going to be a lot of stuff coming uh, in the near future. And we should have another episode actually this week. I think I'm going to release two this week. But we'll see if they, I get around to doing that. I've got a lot going on. But that's my plan. All right, guys, without further ado, we'll see you on the radio.
I don't think it overstates things to say that the Beatles were the greatest gift to entertainment and culture of our time, a secular religion, if you will, with their universal appeal and demonstrable impact on people's lives. I'm Robert Rodriguez, host of Something About the Beatles. With every episode, I speak with historians, musicians, artists, and Beatle witnesses, all in the service of fresh insights into the most joyous cultural entity the world has ever known. I hope you'll join me and listen to Something About the Beatles, now on Evergreen and wherever you get your podcasts.